Hi, welcome to another episode of Infinite Leaders Live. Our why is simple, to be better educators and to be better humans. We want to support and encourage infinite learning for everybody, regardless of role, rank and responsibility, to be willing to listen, to learn and also to share with their colleagues. Alan, how are you doing? Yeah, great, Lewis. Thanks. Start of a new school year and, and really looking forward to our guest today. Uh, really enjoyed the shows we've done so far, and I hope the listeners have, have learned as much as I have. We will continue to focus on the things you don't get taught at university or in any courses, real-life lessons from real-life people with real-life experience. Yeah, and as ever, we're recording live, and as you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, we practice what we preach. We want to know your feedback. If there's things you feel we can improve or things you want to see us do on here, please let us know. If there's things that you think that we are doing well, please let us know. Equally, we, we want your feedback either way. You can find us on, on IGTV and on YouTube. Um, also, all our podcasts are available on popular podcast platforms, Spotify and Apple Podcasts included. All our work's at theinfinitelearners.com and it's all there to try and help and support our PE teachers and those people in education. You can also find us on Twitter, um, follow the handles for, for, for Alan and I. So let's listen, learn and share. Um, Alan, shall we get cracking on and get started? Yeah, get your pens and papers out. There's going to be some gems of wisdom today. And I first met this guest a, a number of years ago on, on a conference and I was absolutely blown away by his, his passion and enthusiasm for sport. And it's Ted Timazoglu. He's a, an advocate of and thought leader for quality health and physical education. And I've probably got his name wrong. He uh, believes in a world where skills through quality health PE programs enable all to lead authentic, happy and fulfilling lives. Together with his wife, Carolyn, they've um, helped to create this world by working with governments, international, public and private schools, implementing UNESCO's quality PE guidelines. With a master's degree focused on teacher-student relationships and a certified trainer with the Canadian Society for Exercise Physiology, he combines his work as an author of several textbooks to help teachers and students flourish and thrive in an ever-changing world. So, Ted, welcome to the show and... Lewis and myself are often blown away and, and, and talk about the, the quality of your teacher training sessions. Um, you certainly helped us to, to think more about our why for, for teaching PE. So just tell us a little bit about what inspires you to get out of bed every day, Ted. Well, first and foremost, thank you guys both so much for inviting me. I'm truly honored to be a, a part of the podcast. What gets me out of bed every single morning from the professional standpoint is the impact that the potential impact health and physical education can have in students' lives. We have our curriculum. It is world-class right across the world. And that, by that, I mean not just Canada's. I mean all of ours, right? We get the, the privilege of helping kids learn the skills that will keep them healthy, happy, and flourishing for the rest of their lives. That's my why. That, that is what gets me out of bed every single morning. And meeting people in my travels like you two uh, inspires me that much more to take my game to the next level. So there's a little bit of competition in that, right? Like we're all pushing ourselves. That's, this is our background. And, you know, when I see Alan doing something or Lewis doing something, I think, like, oh, my God, you know what I mean? I got to wake up a little bit earlier today to make sure I get that little morsel in. So that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. Yeah, that enthusiasm, Ted, and that drive and that motivation, just take us back in, in sort of your childhood. And where's all this come from? 
Oh, I love it. Great question. Um, I was absolutely blessed to have health and phys ed teachers who really cared about me as an individual. So a little bit about my background and, you know, wave if I'm getting too deep into this because, um, but I, my parents immigrated to Canada in 1958. They came from, from Greece and, you know, like all immigrants and, and today's as well, they leave their, their, their mother home in hopes of a better, brighter future for their children. So I was um, fortunate enough to attend six elementary schools in, sorry, five elementary schools in six years. And one of them was in Greece. And um, the neat thing about that story in Greece, I, we went there when I was in grade three, but after about two months in Greece, I think I ended up in junior kindergarten. They just kept on moving us down, moving us down, moving us down, <laughs> because we just didn't have the skills. I could speak the language, I couldn't really read or write the language. And then we moved back to Canada and we got to this one area in Ontario and um, it was one of the toughest neighborhoods. It was Flemington Park. And you could look it up. They've done some documentaries on that area. So I was lucky enough to be in the presence of a gentleman named Mr. Takeda. He was my grade five and grade six teacher. Well, Mr. Takeda was not a health visit teacher, but what he did for us every single day, when he noticed us dozing off, he would get us out of our desks and he was a, a karate uh, black belt. And he would take us through all of these exercises. And we'd be doing some Tai Chi, we'd be doing some Taekwondo, we'd be doing some karate, all exercises in class. So he was doing daily physical activity before it was daily physical activity. You know, so he inspired us. But where really the tipping point for me was I was not an athlete. Uh, athletics didn't come easy to me. And when I got to middle school, which is grade seven, eight, and nine for us, I was in the presence of this man and I should show you guys, if you, if you have show notes, I will throw, there's a documentary just done on this gentleman here. Um, and he was my phys ed teacher. And it wasn't just Mr. Thomas, but it was the entire phys ed department in K, uh, sorry, in grade six, seven, sorry, seven, eight, nine at Valley Park Middle School. And his name is Fred Thomas, Mr. Thomas. And if you Google him and do TSN, you'll see the documentary about him. But in a nutshell, Mr. Thomas, the only thing we knew about him was he played for the Harlem Globetrotters. And the Harlem Globetrotters at that time had their own TV show, they had their own cartoon, and they were like global, right? So he would come in in the middle of the gymnasium and he'd say, hey guys, if I sink this shot, he'd be doing hook shots from center. If I sink this shot, we don't have to run D course. And D course was the most challenging cross country course that we had to do for warmups for health and phys ed. Sure enough, nine times out of 10, Mr. Thomas would sink that ball so we wouldn't have to run. So it was kind of like a reverse reward. But what they did in that class, in our health and phys ed class, was they fitness tested all of us. We never knew what those fitness tests meant because they never told us. But what they did with those values is they sprinkled the athleticism throughout intramurals in the schools. So we were in house systems. So it'd be a greenhouse, red house, blue house. And they would take all the different kids who did really well, who expressed their athleticism early, and they would put them on different squads. And they put guys like me who tested really low on the fitness challenges because I was a late bloomer. They would throw us with those people as well. We didn't have any school representative teams. It was all intramural based with our health and phys ed program. So we had lots of touches. We had developmentally appropriate uh, teams and you would run your, uh, intramural in the morning at lunchtime and after school and it was massive participation for all kids no representative school teams 
So that was how lucky I was to be in that presence because I got to blossom and bloom through there. Non-judgmental, complete participation with very, very, very little influence on, you know, how great you were at one particular sport. So that's what got me going. And uh, if it wasn't for them taking me under their wings and people like me, never would have got to this level at all. If it was exclusionary, if it was just about one sport, if I wasn't good at it, I'd be gone. Yeah. There'll be people listening to, listening to this, Ted, that, that will, will think to themselves, well, how can you develop? How can you push yourself without being competitive, without performing for schools, without giving yourself that opportunity? Yeah. Tell, tell us what, what impact that had on you. you, you you've, you've just subtly touched upon it there. Give us a bit more detail about the impact that it had on you playing in those non-judgmental situations. It really made me feel like I mattered, right? Because I didn't express my athleticism early. It didn't come out. And someone could have very easily said, you know what, the, the kid's not going to be anything. Like, let's just leave it and let's move on now to find the kids who are going to represent us on the school teams. Um, so that'll bring us back to who is our health and physical education program for? Is it for the select few that will represent school teams or are on representative teams? Uh, or is it for everyone, regardless of the podium that they want to own? Some people want to own the playground and some people want to own the podium. At the end of the day, the most important part is when you take all these kids through the schooling system is that they've acquired some health and physical literacy that'll keep them motivated and encouraged to participate for life. And if we're not doing that, then really what, what are taxpayers or people who pay for our schooling expect out of us? Like it's easy for me to take the athletes in the school who express themselves early and work with them. That's easy. That's like a math teacher taking the brilliant calculus kid and just working with him, her, they. Um, that's not what health and phys ed is. Health and phys ed is about the underdog. Health and phys ed is about taking everybody to that next level and raising that basement. And if not, then people are going to start questioning, you know, what's our value? Where do we belong? And I know Dr. Kathy Armour talks about, you know, some teacher identity. I mean, to me, that I would invest in. I would invest in health and physical education teachers who take those kids to that level, who raise them up, make them feel valued, and make them say, hey, this is for you too. There's a place for you in health and visit as well, not just the athletes. So, so what did you learn alongside the skills there, Ted? In the actual school, the first thing I learned is what really, really matters is establishing relationships relationships, you know, getting in kids, walking in their shoes, figuring out what makes them tick, figure out what their, their fears are, and then helping them in a non-judgmental environment, realize that we all have, all of us have those fears, showing our vulnerabilities, telling them a little bit about our stories. So I've learned that be radically transparent as you feel comfortable at the time. In other words, we're on this planet for a very short time. You know, for me to give those students a glimpse into, you know, my journey um, will help all of them feel like, you know, I, I belong here. This is for me as well. 
because some of those journeys will overlap, right? Like we all have commonalities of getting to those certain levels. And by no means am I trying to tell you I've got it all figured out. I don't. I don't have all this figured out. But I know at the end of the day, when we're kind to each other, when we're helping each other, we all rise. We all become those leaders that we, we need to be, especially in, in today's times in health and physics. Yeah, you make you make a really good yeah, point. powerful. And so, sorry, Al, just was one point that I wanted to just explore a bit there, Ted. Is you, know, you mentioned about a maths teacher maybe wouldn't just take the people that are best at maths. They they will pull everybody else through. And and I I completely agree with with everything that you've just said. Um, and, and that'll be no surprise. We, we we know each other quite well, and we've spoken about this before. But how do you do that in phys ed? Uh, for our listeners, could you try and explain how in maths, if, if a child isn't doing as well as they should, there's booster classes, there's support systems, there's, there's ways of making sure that that child does have the scaffolding to succeed. Often in, in health and physical education, um, however it's referred to in people's schools out there, it, it's often the case that, well, that child just isn't very good at sport or they just don't really like PE and that's okay. And, and a child can very silently be disengaged and, and unhappy about their PE experience for a number of years. H how do schools prevent that? How do PE teachers get everybody seen? And I think you used the phrase that you felt like you mattered. How, how can a PE teacher make sure that everybody feels like they matter and that yeah, they're, they're seen and listened to? Yeah, great question. I think the first and foremost thing is that first few weeks of school, is focusing on getting to know each other and finding out everyone's goals. So I'm a big fan of student surveys, whether that's, you know, whether you're doing this remotely or whether you're doing this in person, is co-constructing the year with the kids, like asking the kids, what do you want to get out of this year? Like what would make your health and physical education experience or our time together this semester, this term, this year, the most amazing experience you've ever had in health and physette, right? And then asking them questions like, what do you really enjoy about it? What do you not like about it? What are you hoping to you really want to learn? So I'm really a big fan of just figuring out what it is that they like and meeting them on their level. Then once I know something about those kids, once we get into our, our warm-ups or our little fun activity games, I can cater or pay special attention to those kids who might need a little bit more guidance in the beginning and not worry so much about the people who have acquired it early because they're going to love us regardless. Like our athletes are there because it speaks to them. This is what makes their hearts sing. But for other kids, that resource isn't on the surface yet, right? They're, they're hidden. And working with them in that capacity, I find we get more kids. We're not going to get all of them. Our goal is to get all of them. That's going to take some time, right? And I think that student surveys are a great way of putting sort of, you know, what we're hearing a lot about now is this Maslow before Bloom, like figuring out, making them safe in our, in our schools, making them safe in our classrooms, making them feel welcome, making them feel loved. Um, but yet having expectations and clear guidance of getting them to that next level, right? So finding something that makes them passionate about getting up in the day. You've asked earlier about, you know, my why is finding out individual whys. And I know that's going to take time, but really at the end of the day, if the kid feels that like they're mattered, they'll do, they'll do everything they can to make us proud and us making them us, ourselves proud of who, uh, 
who we are and who they are. Yeah. Powerful, Ted. Very powerful. Um, it was, I think it was my wife that said this on a previous podcast, that time invested in people is never, ever wasted time. And, and it's certainly, certainly something that's really resonated doing the, doing the first part of a, an inset with, with a new school this week. Um, you talk about Maslow before Bloom. How are we going to do this online, Ted? How are we going to do distance learning and, and do these, these connections over a computer screen? Yeah, to me, I find it, it's a little bit easier doing it virtually than it is doing it in person. And, and I'll, I'll explain why. Um, again, the, the, the very first thing I would think to set up is lining up that survey. And there's some really neat surveys out there right now that have some of these questions. And one of them was brought up by Shape America. They've got a great little Word document that we can, we can adjust and we can throw around. I've been toying around with that in the in-services that I've been doing. Um, with teachers and finding out what kids need. What we're starting to find early now is the kids who never had a voice in phys ed, who were afraid to come out and tell you what they wanted, are more than happy to text that to you or to do that digitally. Because we can put kids now into um, you know, rooms, for lack of a better term, whether we're in Zoom or whether we're in Microsoft Teams or whether we're using Skype, whatever that platform that we're using or our communication through Flipgrid, we can put kids into groups of common interests and then building communities within common interest. So I find digitally might be a little bit easier to do that. Another way of doing that is showing the students, hey, here are the, great, here are the things we're gonna be covering this year in health and physical education in the curriculum. Tease through these things or flip through this little resource that I'm giving you and then tell me what captures your attention? What would you like to learn more about? And then by getting, knowing to know what those kids know more about, I now have an understanding of where they're at, what their why is, or what, what makes them happy, or what makes their heart sing. So I think starting there, and again, by no means am I trying to say that I'm the expert in this, like, this is all new to all of us. But I think putting that kindness, putting their social emotional needs first, and then getting into what we need to get to them, I think we'll go a lot further than we would the other way around, right? Because I've, I've heard um, some horror stories from neighbors' kids uh, about certain teachers saying, well, you know, the assignment's due on this day, and if it's not in at this time, at this particular day, um, then I'm not going to mark it. Yeah, I, I, my, no own kids, yeah my own kids, Ted, have had a, they, they've really struggled with, with the distance learning. They, they love their sport and to be on lockdown and, and to not get the opportunity to go and play football, to go and do their gymnastics, to go and swim. Uh, it, it almost broke them. I'll be quite honest with you. And we, yeah. we came back to the UK and just the hour they could have at the park w w was amazing. The worry now, Ted, is that a lot of students around the world are going back into distance learning. What advice could we, could we give to educators to just to help that process of going back into it after their summer holidays? Yeah. Again, I think the first thing is putting the kids' social emotional needs first, finding out what their experiences were like during the lockdown, right? During COVID, what were things that they enjoyed, what things didn't they enjoy? Um, looking back and reflecting on it, what would they change? You know, how did it feel when you did get outside? You know, Alan, it's almost like a reverse is what's happening now in the world, right? I mean, when I'm quite a bit older than you guys are, but when we were younger, there was no technology. There was none of this stuff 
we just went out and played. We went out into nature, we got into the backyard, we climbed things, we moved around things, and we did things. We can still do those in the COVID area, but our kids have been hyper-programmed that that's not their world, right? Their world isn't just going and phoning a friend or going out in the street and organizing a, a, a footy game or a hide-and-seek game. These are all things that have to be learned again all over for our kids. So the biggest advice I can give is social-emotional needs first. We don't know the trauma these kids are experiencing at home. We all teach in different environments. Um, I fear for some of those students where school was the safest place and that was taken away. And now they're embedded in this thing at home that, that, that isn't a, a, a safe environment for that kid on any level. And that's where they're at. So social emotional first, we don't know what they're coming with, gentle and kind, move slow. Yeah, yeah. thanks for the advice there. Um, it, it's a tough period in the world for, for sport. Where do you see health and PE in all this? Where are we just becoming fitness instructors that are delivering sessions in front of a screen? Is there more to it than that? Where's the E and PE? Great point, yeah. There's so much more. So if we take one step back and we look at all of the, not all, but the majority of people who have been compromised through COVID have all had preconditions, right? Like the top 10 things that end our lives before we really um, could still be on the planet longer are all acquired diseases. These are hypokinetic diseases where we're sitting, we're not moving as much, we're not doing things, right? So type two diabetes, cardiovascular diseases, strokes, et cetera, types, types of cancers. Health and phys ed gives kids those physical and health literacy skills they need to stay away from those things. So by us as health and physical educators, like both of you I know as well, like your schooling is, is full of things that help people become fit and healthy, right? That's what we're trained in. We're trained in how to help people sleep better, how to people move better, think better, feel better, eat better. If we focus more on those by finding out again where our kids are at in their journey, in their health and physical literacy journey, and then supplementing that with what they need, that's where I believe health and phys ed needs to undergo this metamorphosis, right? Like we all have to come out of this differently. The old health and phys ed wasn't necessarily the best either. It did have some things we could improve, all improve upon. Like, did our programs focus solely on those athletes? Was it about farm systems for school teams? Or was it truly about giving kids an enriched health and physical literacy experience that was for them, by them? So I'm just gonna to touch quickly on student voice, student choice. Like at the end of the day, um, you like what you like because you get to choose. If there is a food you don't like, Alan, or, or us, we stay away from it, right? We, this is not what we like. But when we force that down a kid's throat in the form of health and phys ed, whether it's, you know, we're making them run and they can't stand running, um, they're not going to have a really positive experience. But if we can disguise that in an exercise and disguise type of game, a tag game, um, a different uh, dodging game, then you reframe them, right? And framing really matters. So I think that's what we need to be doing right now is first focus on that social, emotional, and trauma-informed consents, and then moving the kids forward that way. Don't rush it. So, yeah. so, so what you're suggesting, Ted, is likely to be a quantum leap for some PE teachers to go from 
what you've described there as, as quite a, a linear route down developing sporting talent, um, creating team players, looking at sports, to suddenly being very holistic, thinking about emotional and social well-being, looking uh, at the child from a, a, a huge 360 angle that, that maybe teachers haven't done so much before. Um, what, what advice would you give a, a teacher in how to approach that? I, I'd imagine that there, there'll be many teachers out there that that will be quite, um, that'll make them feel quite anxious to, to know that PE has got an opportunity here to be something so much bigger, so much better, so much different. Uh, and, and, I, and I'd imagine that could cause some anxiety. What, what would you give as, as advice to a teacher on a first couple of steps to take there? Yeah. So if we look at some of the greatest athletes in the world, I don't care what sport you pick. Um, so if you look at the Champions League, for example, let's take that one, Lewis, because I know that's a, a passion for you as well with soccer. Um, so think about all of those people at that particular, they're all fit, they all eat well, they all train like crazy. What's the delimiting factor for all of those people? Like what, what makes one person that much more resilient or that much more tougher it's the mental game it's what's between the ears right so when we take that approach with our kids when we put their needs first and put their fears in the forefront and how we're going to help you know with them give them the tools they need to to um you know to erase those or to slowly repurpose those those are the those are the ways that we have to start thinking about health and phys ed it isn't about making the next Olympian. If that happens, that's great, but that's not gonna happen in health and phys ed. First of all, we don't have the hours with the kid. We're not single sport focused like that particular individual might be. So that's not the place for health and phys ed. Health and phys ed is all about helping kids in their health and physical literacy journey, whether or not they wanna own the playground or the podium. It's a supporting role. Yeah, I, some some of the UK guys, Ted, they they probably wouldn't understand the term physical literacy. I know I know that us guys uh, have adopted the use of that uh, in international schools. Just tell us a little bit more about physical literacy and what you do in Canada to actually promote that as a lifelong journey. Yeah, so physical literacy in a nutshell is helping people become confident, competent movers in a wide variety of activity to be physically active for life. Right. And then it isn't a linear journey because nothing really is. Right. But a physically literacy, a physically literate and health literate individual knows that, OK, when I dip, when I am not eating right, not sleeping right, not moving enough, not thinking right. I have the tools and I have the reset buttons and the strategies to get me back up to here and then continue that journey. And then when I dip again, I'm able to get back up again. I have those tools. I have that network. That's what it's all about. So what we're trying to do, and by no means do we have this set pat, um, because one of our biggest challenges in North America, especially in Canada, is we don't have necessarily health and phys ed programs taught by an individual, whether that's a specialist or a designated health and phys ed teacher. That doesn't exist in all our, all our elementary schools. The beautiful thing about your environments in international schools is you have that right? You get to see kids womb to bloom. Um, we don't have that. So at the younger ages, it's all about, you know, just free play, 
creativity. At younger ages, I'm talking from kindergarten or preschool to about grade one. That's what the focus is. And then from grade one, we literally now get into a health and physical education curriculum that's largely around fundamental movement skills, skipping, hopping, galloping, switching, throwing, sending, receiving type skills. But it's not in adult mastery games. It's all basically in a teaching games for understanding approach or, or small sided games. And it's all about community building. That's how it is at the elementary level. And then we slowly flourish that up to the high school level. And at the high school level, there's a lot of choice for kids. They could have different types of health and physical education experiences in Ontario. For example, a high school kid, a grade nine kid can opt to, into a fitness focus course if that is what they want to do or a body management course if that's what they want to do or whatever the course might be called in that particular school. It could be net wall. It could be territorial. It could be target. They get to choose which they want to be in. So it's all about all about the kid. Yeah. I remember um, several years ago, Ted, when, when I first met you and Caroline, and um, and I, I was I was at one of your um, inset sessions, and I came away with two really overwhelming thoughts. And the first one was the novel idea of not watering down sport, but really looking at it the other way around and thinking, and again, using your examples of maths and science and English, you don't go back and make an essay easier or make a formula easier. You actually teach the fundamentals that will allow people to have the skills and the tools to be able to work out those larger problems. And similarly in sport with physical literacy, we follow a same kind of, of practice. And, and I remember really watching that and, 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 and taking note of that with what, with what you were doing with Carolyn there. And those kind of tools that you talked about uh, of the mental game, they seem to make much more sense when you look at it from the angle of starting with simple fundamental building blocks and starting to learn and link and, and transfer those together. Would you tell us what, what you've seen in your kind of observations as to how, how those things do happen with children? Do you see those links happening with the fundamental movements and, and with the self-acceptance and the, with the resilience that start to build and with the understanding of how to communicate and why that's important? Yeah. It'll go back to um, it'll go back to making them feel uncomfortable in our classroom. So at the elementary level, what I have seen so many great health and teachers do is um, let's say it's in a game that is similar to volleyball, whether that's three three person or whether that's a Newcomb ball where the kids are physically catching it. They're not using a volleyball; they're using a beach ball. And some schools have gone to the to the extreme of throwing a little helium in that ball as well. So what does that do? You know, the ball stays in the air longer, the kids can get under the ball quicker, there's more success. Success breeds success, success breeds motivation, and motivation breeds challenge, right? So um, what Csikszentmihalyi calls the flow state, like when I feel like I can do something or they feel that they can do something, we can slowly bridge that to the next level. Right. So it's easy for me, not easy for me to take both of you and say, hey, we're going to walk right across this, these two skyscraper towers on a two by four. You're going to look at me and you're going to say, uh, no, we're not. But if we take that two by four and I put that two by four on the ground and it's OK, Lewis Allen, let's walk across that two by four. Do you think you could walk across that two by four? Uh, yeah, I think I could. Yeah. I'd like to back myself on that. <laughs> right. Back myself. And, then, 
And then we can take now um, a couple of little boxes and, and, and raise it, you know, six centimeters or, or three inches or two inches off the ground. Could you walk across it now? Yeah, I'm, yes, backing, I'm backing myself, Ted. I am. I'm having that. <laughs> Backwards. <laughs> yeah. And slowly, slowly, we raise that up. That's the approach we got to take. And for some kids, they're going to say, yeah, yeah, I can do that right now. And that's great. So we have to have that environment in our classroom to do that. So using, but, your, using your raw example there, the example would be that the, the game is the two by four at the top of the skyscraper. And what many teachers have done in the past is just brought that halfway down and thought, well, kids should be good enough to be able to do that. Let's just start here. When in actual fact, what you're describing is really starting from the brass tacks and the fundamentals and, and working the way up from there. Yeah, I would ask all teachers just to reflect and say, look, the truth of the matter is we teach who we are. So when we first come into this profession, we will teach what we're good at. Um, one of the books I, I, I constantly read, especially during the beginning of a school year. So usually in um, uh, about the first week of August, I, I now have it on audiobook because I listen to it like all the friggin' time. And it's Parker Palmer's book, uh, The Courage to Teach. It's, it's, it's been around forever. Um, but the whole part of it talks it you know we're big right now on social emotional learning we're big on trauma-informed uh, trauma-informed teaching uh, but Parker Palmer was talking about this 50 years ago 60 years ago right and it's all about getting them to that comfort level and once we've got them to that comfort where they feel safe and they feel cared for um, we can get them to those other levels right so finding that uh, entry point for kids is the most important thing. So does that mean the teachers that have got the multi-stage fitness test down as their first lesson back in September might have to have a rethink? <laughs> um, not for kids like me who love it, right? Like I love the multi-stage fitness test and I'm going to do really well because it speaks to my, you know, it speaks to me. Uh, unfortunately for the rest of my classmates who can't stand it, I just turn them off, right? Yeah. And the simple solution there is just to say, okay, well, you don't have to run that, but here's what you have to do. Um, we need to get a snapshot of your cardiorespiratory system just because it'll help us with our, help you with your goal setting. Do you like walking? Do you like going up and down stairs? Do you like running, right? So there are different, different tests that we could use to get a snapshot. We're not, you know, we're not telling kids to do that. And that, that goes back to student voice, student choice. Give them the buffet, let them select what they want, and then create the conditions in our classrooms or virtually to make that happen. And I know that sounds easy, and it's not. And when you get stuck, ask the kid, right? Because they'll tell you. So when we go back earlier and we asked ourselves about, you know, how do we get those disengaged kids to move and stuff? Ask them. Ask those kids, you know. When you do this, how does it make you feel? And they're going to say, well, I don't know. Well, okay keep asking, you know, keep asking. That's just a defense mechanism. I don't know. Keep asking, ask with a smile. Yeah. The, it's funny you mentioned that Ted, because that was one of my biggest takeaways was, was the, the bleep test. And you're saying, well, why are we doing it? And offering uh, a Rockport walk test or a Harvard step test. And I'm like, yeah, why not? Yeah, it just sounds and and we've all been guilty of it, Ted. We've all we've all been in there and done fitness testing at the start of the year. It's just reframing it, as you say. I, I'm interested, Ted, in 
do kids get to a tipping point? If they've, if they've not achieved confidence in their physical literacy, that obviously affects them and it will, may switch them off. How, yeah, can we, how can we deal with that? There's, there's always that gap. It was the classic Wolfenden gap back in the day. How do we switch these people back onto physical activity? Yeah, great question. Um, are you guys familiar with the hero's journey? Campbell talks about the hero's journey. And we all, we all go through this, right? Like we have our status quo, like those kids who are disengaged or those kids who are, you know, just not into it. And they're stuck in this phase. But we all know as human beings that, look, when we learn to move more, when we learn to eat better, when we learn to sleep better, we feel better. I mean, that is just the law of, of physiology. That's who we are, right? That's truly where we need to get these kids. So by just framing it around, and the great thing about the hero's journey, what Campbell talks about, is it applies to all kids or all human beings. In other words, video games are created on the hero's journey. Movies are created on the hero's journey. Um, People like Bill Gates, um, Mother Teresa, Christine Sinclair, um, Maya Angelou, you pick. You pick the people who have made a, con a huge contribution to humanity, and then you will all see that they've gone through the hero's journey. So a hero's journey, basically, in a nutshell, and I hope I don't screw this up too much, but basically you have your status quo of what you think the, the world should be. I think phys ed should be just about the athletes, let's just say right? And then you have a disruption. So whether it's a podcast that you listen to, your particular podcast, or, or you see an inspiring movie, or you hear an inspiring speaker, and you think like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. Like what you were talking about, Alan, changing the reference point of the fitness testing. That's the disruption, right? So that's going to take your status quo. Now you get onto the journey. Okay, so now how do I get to do that? And then you learn all those tools. We'll call them health literacy and physical literacy, right? We learn those tools. And now the, the end of the hero's journey is to now come back to the community and share that. That's what we do. But if we're myopically focused on just the athlete or the kid is just focused on, I can't do it. Our next point should be the word yet. You're right. You can't do it yet but give me something you love doing well, i love video games okay what video game do you love i love fortnite well let me get back to you because i know nothing about fortnite but i'm going to find out something about fortnite so i will go and i'll figure out something about fortnite but i guarantee you alan and lewis it'll come back to a hero's journey because that's what makes kids that's what helps hook us right it's all about who we are transforming coming back and sharing does that make any sense to you guys or am i just like no, it's, it, it, it's brilliant, Ted. It, it makes a massive amount of sense. I, I, I'm just intrigued now with the parents. I'm a, I'm a parent myself and I, I struggle with the whole, the online learning and my kids sat down on Fortnite, actually. Um, how can we now engage in this, in this period of distance learning and, and, and the, new, the new normal, as we're calling it? How are we going to engage parents in this process? Yeah. I think for the parents as well, they have to take care of their social and emotional well-being as well, right? So as a parent, I'm sure you guys do this all the time. You go out with your kids and you play. You know, you're, t you're taking them out. We're going out for a walk. We're just going to take a little bit of a break, right, of whatever they're doing, whether they're on Fortnite, 
but doing that physical activity with them, keeping that family influence together helps a tremendous amount. Now, it may not work the first time, guys, but the only way this game ends poorly is if you give up, right? <laughs> we just got to keep hammering away and in a nice way and with a smile, not in a prescriptive like you're coming or else I'm taking away Fortnite. That's not going to work, right? Finding different ways, finding different approaches on how to get there. And there isn't going to be a cookie cutter. Isn't going to be try this or sorry, it's going to this. This is going to work. This is the panacea. No, it's going to be different things, right? It might be a, a reward thing. I don't know how your kids work, but it might be like, hey, if we go out and do this for every two minutes we walk, you get 30 seconds on Fortnite, you know? How important, how important is the perspective of that long game for teachers, Ted? I think for our profession, it's massive. Because I think if we ask most people, if you ask most parents, we've done these surveys. So in the work that, um, you know, that I do here with schools that I work with or in the in-services or the vertical alignments we do with schools, um, it's massively important, right? It's the most critical element to figure out what it is that they want and how we get to those levels. Yeah. So Lewis, give me that question again because I forgot it because I was thinking of something else. <laughs> the, I was just talking about the long game. You talked there about don't give up, keep going, keep having a go. How important is a, a teacher's purpose or their, their why or the, their, the aim of what they do to be that long game and, and to realize that this isn't something that's going to happen quickly? This isn't yeah. something that's going to be measured across a week or maybe even a term or a year. This is something that's it's really a life's work and, and, and that's what you've been dedicating your life to. Yeah. Yeah. It's most important because it's what's going to help get our profession further down the line. Right. Like if we can all agree that um, we should all be doing what's best for the kid. Right. So if we had a flow chart and we had at the top student success, what's best for kids. Right. It's either going to be a yes or a no. Right. So if we look at all kids and we say, if we focus just on sport, right? Like it's just that adult mastery of the game. Yes or no, is that good for all kids? I'm hoping the majority of teachers, even those teachers who are focused on just that would say, no, that's not best for all kids, right? And I'm not gonna leave the athletes out of this in a second. Okay, great, so we all can agree to that. All right, so now brings us down to the next bracket. So then if it's not, what is, what's the best thing we can do for those kids, for all of those kids, right? And then from there, if it's easy, good, let's do it. If it's not easy, let's identify the barriers and then let's find all the solutions for those particular barriers and move down. They're not all gonna work. We're gonna test them, we're gonna try them. I'm a big fan of action research, whatever new initiative um, we do with the schools that we work with and some of the international schools as well in Phobicia that we work with what we will tell them is that let's measure the intervention. Like let's get student voice. Let's figure out what the parents feel about all of this and let's get some of this data back and then adapt it and fill in our gaps that we need to fill in. That's so important for the long game. And the long game to me for health and physical education is it has the potential to be the most important subject being taught because no other subject focuses on the social emotional, than health and physical education. It's not unlike any other subject, right? We teach kids about the physical and health literacy, move, sleep, think, and eat better. That's gonna help them huge down the road, uh, you know, during their life. 
it, it just brings back a point just popped into my head is like, you know, we all have a lifespan, but I think a lot of us think about that lifespan, but the most important thing within that lifespan is actually a health span. You want to avoid those diseases, the ones that you have to work to get as long as you possibly can. And that'll keep you out of the nursing home. That'll keep you off a gurney and that'll keep you on a path where you're feeling you have more good days than you have bad days. That's what we're teaching in health and phys ed. Sport might be the vehicle. We don't teach sport. We teach students. The sport might be the vehicle. Um, the fitness-based model might be the vehicle. The flip classroom might be the vehicle. And sometimes it's a whole blend of all of that stuff. But that's what we get paid for. Yeah. <laughs> it, it reminds me of that, that quote from uh, Angelo Dundee. And it? It, it, it didn't teach didn't teach Muhammad Ali to box. He taught the person and it comes back to that same thing, doesn't it? Uh, really, really top notch, Ted. We, we, we're going to wind it down a little bit now with some quick fire questions to, to finish. And I, I know you're well read, but what, what's the book you're reading at the moment? The book I'm reading at the moment is called Principles by Ray Dahlia. And it's a little bit outside uh, of the realm. It's a business book, but it's about, he's one of the most successful um, investment um, people in the world. He runs Bridgewater and he's developed all of these things he's learned over his career and he's packaged it in this book called Principles. I find it fascinating and he talks a lot about being radically transparent. You know, let's say what's on our minds with the teams that we work with in a non-judgmental environment and learn from it. Put your egos on the shelf, goal set together and build that community together. So, so lots of transfer in there. It's not a, it's not a PE and health book. It's taken away from that. And that's great advice for, for people. You don't just read about your subject, read around your subject and take the transferable skills from that. 100%. Yeah. Uh, Lewis, next one. Yeah, Ted, I'm, I'm going to ask you um, Alan's favorite question. If you uh, had the opportunity to take three leaders in history out for a meal, who, who would you take out? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Great question. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. I was, he's the one that's kind of hooked me onto, onto English. And I was, a, I was basically a special ed student. So I, I didn't read, it took me a long time to learn how to read. Um, but just his whole approach on transcendentalism, which is basically, you know, in tune with nature in tune with yourself. Uh, big. I'd like to definitely do that with him. Um, Another person would be uh, Mother Teresa <laughs> is a big one. And the reason is just her compassion, just in, in the face of all kinds of uh, travesties in life, but yet still having a smile on her face and helping people, giving people hope. That's a really, really big one. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. I mean, how you assemble that many people without internet and a cause and motivation uh, is another, uh, another person I would love to, uh, I'd love to meet. Yeah, he'd have a few followers on Twitter, Martin Luther King, wouldn't he? <laughs> Come on sure. now, last one. Yeah, our, our podcast is Infinite Leaders Live and, and our, our website is about infinite learning. What, what does that word infinite learning mean to you, Ted? It means a journey. Um, you know, there is no destination. It means that, you know, I think arguably I would be one of the most over professionally developed teachers on the planet. I get to travel all around the place, meet incredible people like you. I get to work with all kinds of schools and school oh, boards and governments here. Stop um, it, Ted. We're blushing here. We're blushing. <laughs> yeah. And 
I'm nowhere near the health and phys ed teacher I need to be. There's so much to learn. There's so much to still take in and be better than we were, right? And if you look at the people who are at the top of their game, they're there for a reason because they're infinite. They're the ones that are constantly seeking ways of improving, little micro tweaks they can do that within the fair play of the game, of course. Yeah, <laughs> that's what infinite means to me. Yeah, it's limitless. Super, thank you, Ted. And, and you know, Alan and I learn something every time we speak to you and, and I'm sure our listeners will, will take a lot from that. So we really appreciate your time and, and thanks for giving us you know, a lot of optimism there and some really useful takeaways that we can, you know, apply in schools and, and look to see what the, the impact is. Thanks very much. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate uh, just giving me the time to talk about something we're all passionate about. And uh, yeah, really interesting to see how far we can all take this for sure. Thanks, Ted. Uh, guys, search Infinite Leaders Live on, on YouTube and IGTV. Please press, press subscribe and, and leave us a review if you like what you're hearing. And um, we are on all podcast platforms as well uh, and remember Alan's just mentioned it there www.theinfinitelearners.com is where you can find the uh, latest articles and bits and bobs that might help you out and, and that's all we want to do is, is, is help and support and, and keep in touch let us know how you're doing Ted thanks again um, and that's us out for now cheers guys thanks Ted